0: Our scripture this morning comes from Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray now for this sermon we're about to receive. We pray for our pastor, Emmanuel. You would give him utterance to speak the gospel plainly. And we pray for our hearts, Lord, that we would receive it and overcome in Jesus. Amen. Waiting. Waiting has to be one of the hardest things we ever do. I don't think anybody likes to wait. We don't like to wait for hard things. You know, if you heard that you have to have a root canal. Let's just get it over with. It's hard to wait for good things. Might be wonderful things, you know, graduation from school. It might be those gifts that the kids are staring at under the tree. It's hard to wait you're single and you're looking for a companion for life, a husband or wife, it's just hard to wait. It's hard to wait for Jesus' return to be with him and then along with him to be in the presence of all those who we love who have gone on before us, who have left us here alone. It's just hard to wait. Waiting is hard. And as we wait, what keeps us going is hope. But waiting is hard. And the thing is that as we wait, just the very process of waiting can chip away at that hope, and we can lose hope. And sometimes it gets paper thin as the wait wears on, and we wonder, will it ever happen? I'm beginning to find myself doubting this more and more as time goes on. So our text is about hope, and I'd like us to look at that, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12. The first thing is, it makes an observation about life. I think we've all experienced this. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope, the very word is sweet. You know, we name our children hope because there is a sort of an attractiveness to the very name. But incorporated in that name is also the sense of a tension, of an anxiety, of a waiting that produces something uncomfortable for us, because hope is something that's not realized. Your hope is to, let's say, climb a high mountain, and you've been waiting for this, you're all prepared, and you get to the bottom, it's a nice day, and you begin, and, and you're just full of energy, because anytime you begin, hope is always vibrant and strong. It always begins that way. But as you continue to climb, you know, your knees ache a little, your legs are getting tired. You're not sure how far it is. Maybe the trees are blocking your view of the peak. You don't know how much further it is, and you begin to wonder if you're ever going to make it. Hope is wearing thin. You feel disappointment. You feel maybe even a sense of defeat because in you is this thought, you know, I'm just going to turn around. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Viktor Frankl, as a young man, spent time in several of the... Nazi Germany's concentration camps. He was a psychiatrist and he was the doctor looking after these prisoners and he found something interesting. He writes about it in his book, Man's Search for Meaning. He talks about how hope was a physically life-giving force. That without hope, he his patients were dying. He gives an example. He says, between Christmas of 1944 and New Year's 1945, the camp's sick ward experienced a death rate beyond all previous experience. And he said it wasn't because there was a food shortage or because the conditions were worse. He says, but because the majority of the prisoners had lived in the naive hope that they would be home by Christmas. And when that hope was gone when Christmas passed and they were still prisoners. They found no reason to hang on in those harsh conditions. Hope is life-giving. Losing hope is deadly, but that's not what our text is talking about. Losing hope is not the same as hope deferred. The word deferred here means drawn out, prolonged. We know what that means. It keeps us waiting. The fulfillment is in the future, and it seems to us long in the future. And we're being tested, meanwhile. Hope is wearing thin, but we're just barely hanging on by our fingernails. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But hope deferred is not the same as losing all hope. But if waiting, hope deferred, makes the heart sick, why in the world does God make us wait? Do you ever wonder that? If waiting makes the heart sick, why does God make us wait? I think asking the question why of God is a dangerous thing. Because his ways are above our ways, and sometimes he has wonderful explanations that are way beyond our understanding. So asking him, why do you do this rather than that, is always a little bit dangerous. But let me nevertheless suggest three reasons. I'm not saying these are the only reasons, and I hope that they are suggestive. I hope you come up as you're reading your Bible with other observations about why it is that it serves God's purposes to make his people wait to experience the blessings that he has promised to them. The first, and I have to say, this is the hardest to bear, but I have to tell it to you anyway, because I'm here, I'm obligated to tell you what the Bible says. And so here's what the Bible says, that in waiting to bring about relief from all suffering, in waiting to bring about even judgment against those who are evil, God is proving that he is just. God is demonstrating his justice to witnesses in heaven and on earth. There will be no doubt at the end of the day, That what God did was just and good. So people, well, they complain now, and honestly, they'll always complain. You know, why is God so hard? Why didn't God give her more time? If, If he had given her more time, surely she would have turned to him. Why didn't he send more people to him? Because if the right people had come, he would have turned and understood what God was doing. Why didn't God wait longer? And these are all actually good questions, aren't they? From our point of view, they make sense. But at their root, what they're doing is they're questioning God's wisdom and they're questioning God's sense of justice. Did God do right? But as we look at the Bible, we find that in biblical history, in other words, God's dealings with his people and with the world, God allows what is evil to mature and you might say become fully evil, bear its fruit so that there's no doubt about why What he does is absolutely just. Here's some examples. Revelations chapter 6 is a vision of those who have been killed for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they're under the throne of God, and they're asking this question. How long, O Lord, before you avenge our death? How long before you avenge our death? And the answer should shake us. It's troubling. Here's what the answer is in verse 11. Then they were told to rest a little longer... Until, until what? Until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been killed. Wow, God is going to wait until even more martyrs, even more people have been killed by those who are wicked and who oppose God. Now, I don't know if that bothers you and what about it bothers you. We should be clear that those who are being killed for the sake of Christ enter into rest into peace they're free from pain and persecution and trouble that's not what should trouble us but the fact that God waits maybe does and we should understand that the point of the question that these saints these martyrs under the throne is not oh Lord when will you stop the pain and the suffering in the world it's not about death but the question is about justice when will you avenge our death when will you do what is right When will you take care of the wicked? And God's answer is, in a word, the time is not ripe. Just wait, just wait, rest a little while longer. He's not slow, but he's patient. And we can't mix the two. Peter wrote about this and he said, just be careful that you don't get confused between the two because they look like the same often. So he writes in 2 Peter, the third chapter, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He's saying, at the end, no one will say, oh, I wish you had given me more time, or I wish you had given her more time, just a bit more, and things would have changed. At the end, no one will have any criticism of the Lord. And you know, you find this in the Old Testament, and you find it in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 16, God speaks to Abraham and he's promised him this land. This land will belong to you and all your descendants. But he says, there's going to be 400 years when they will not have this land. In fact, they'll be in Egypt and much of it will be spent with the Israelites in slavery in Egypt, waiting, crying out, longing. Why? Why wait? And here's what it says. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. The Amorites were doing wicked things. You can read about it in the Bible. Horrible, unspeakable things like sacrificing their children to gods, throwing them in fires in order to appease these idols that they worship. But God is saying their, their wickedness is not full. It hasn't ripened. There's more yet to come so that at the end there will be no doubt that the judgment that comes is just and right. The same thing happens in the Gospels. Jesus spoke to the Pharisees, for example, in Matthew chapter 11, verses 16 through 19, and he actually quoted a children's song. He said, listen, what kind of method will cause you to turn your hearts to God? God spoke to you in messages which were like a flute playing a dance melody, and you didn't dance, you didn't respond. And then God's message came to you like someone playing a funeral dirge, and you didn't weep, you didn't respond. No matter how God spoke to you, you didn't respond. And then Christ utters words of judgment. God went to every length, and now there's nothing left but judgment. So that's one reason, you see. God waits so that none of us in heaven or on earth will ever be able to question that God was just and right in everything that he did. Here's a second reason. God's waiting is for the sake of his own people. It's true that hope deferred makes the heart sick, but it doesn't kill us. In fact, hope deferred strengthens us and can be a means of building faith and making us stronger in the Lord Jesus Christ. I think we should recognize that that's true in our own parenting. You know, it ought to be true in our own parenting. That is that children's character, in fact, even their intelligence, their ability to handle life improves if they learn to delay gratification, if they learn to say no to themselves. It's a hard thing to learn. I mean, let's face it, many of us adults haven't learned it. We're impulsive, you know, whatever we want to do, whatever we feel like doing, we just do. And these days, all it takes is a click of the mouse and it's done. We're impulsive. Many decades ago, there was this famous experiment performed called the marshmallow experiment. Some of you may know about it, you know, the psychologist had children look at a, one marshmallow on a plate, let's say, and they were told you can have this marshmallow anytime you want. But if you wait 15 minutes and don't eat it, I'll give you two marshmallows. Let's see what you do. Of course, some kids said, I'm not waiting. I'm eating that thing. So they ate it. Others waited and they got two marshmallows. And here's what they found. They found that the children who delayed gratification, who were able to say no to themselves, they followed them up, and later in their teens, they scored higher on tests. So they were doing well academically. They were healthier physically. They were better able to cope with stress and whole other kinds of positive measures. Delayed gratification is a good thing for children to learn. Since then, of course, there's been a lot of discussion about that test back and forth, but many people have been writing about It's possible to teach children this and that parents ought to teach children this because it brings about emotional maturity. They seem to do better in relationships. They're better able to plan. Their scores on tests are better. Delayed gratification. It's tough for parents to do this, though. You know, it's tough for kids, but I think it's tough for parents. We hate to see our children disappointed in any way. All it takes is for them to make that, you know, that pouty mouth, those wide eyes, a little tear rolling down their cheeks, and we say, all right, all right, all right, what do you want? A lot of times, honestly, it's parents who react out of guilt. I know I've neglected you, so I've got to do something to make up for it. Oh, I, I've been doing this, and I've been doing that. Oh, you've been through such a hard time. Let me help you to feel better. And so we want to give them what they want. Sure, sure, you can have ice cream. You can do what you want. You want that toy, I'll get that toy for you. But we keep them from growing and maturing. In fact, we have to teach our children to say no to themselves. Proverbs 25, 28 says, Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Self-control, the ability to say no to ourselves. We're weakening them if we aren't building that into their character from an early age. And you know what? God parents us the same way. God is parenting you and me in exactly the same way. God is maturing us. By, in the process of time, as we wait, as hope is deferred, causing us to grow in faith. 1 Peter chapter 1, four through 4-7. Listen to this. We are promised an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept for you in heaven. Wonderful! That's what's coming. That's our hope. And then it gets a little darker. Ready to be revealed in the last time. Oh, come on. Not now. No, not now. So that's the hope. Deferred, here it comes, though now for a little while, although it doesn't seem so little to us, now for a little while you face grievous and various trials. Hope deferred. And why? Here's the reason. So that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So that at the final day when what we are in our faith is examined It'll shine because it's been built through this whole process. These days of waiting are times of building up our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the one thing that brings pleasure to God in heaven. You know, it's easy to be patient when there's no trial. It's easy to be patient when there's no stress in your life. I was so patient. I was absolutely serene. The great Buddha had nothing over me before the kids started waking me up all through the night it's so easy to be patient and stress-free. When there's no stress, it's so easy to boast of a strong faith. When life is unfolding just the way you plan, just the way you wanted things to go, when there's no question about whether God wants you to go this way and you want to go that way, you can say, oh yeah, I'm tremendous in faith. But then God's word says, no, 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 not that way. I know it's hard for you, but I want you to make a U-turn. The way you're thinking and the way you're living is not the way I want you to live anymore. And then and then we're faced with this trial because we feel so sure about what we're doing. We're so right about the way we're going and now God is instructing us to stop and turn around. We're so sure of our timing about when we should do the things we should do. And God is saying, no, wait or hurry. And that's when the muscles of faith are exercised. See, It's like a gym because then we're asked, do I trust the Lord now? And as we face those challenges and as we respond in faith our faith grows so a second reason why God allows hope to be deferred is because yeah it's hard it does make the heart sick in that sense but it doesn't kill us it can actually strengthen us make us grow in faith and here's a third reason God's timing is not slow but it's at the right pace there's a process that's going on in your life and in my life in history there's a process and God knows the pace at which that process has to take place in order to accomplish its appointed end. You know, if you have to make a cake, and I don't know, let's say it has to bake for 40 minutes at 300 degrees. And you say, I don't have 40 minutes. I know what I'll do. Turn it up to 600 degrees, twice the temperature, half the time, done. It doesn't work that way. It can be all burnt on the outside and raw on the inside. It doesn't work that way. There's a process, and it takes a certain amount of time for that process to take place. And that's how it is with God. When we were looking for land to build this church, wow, it took forever, it seemed like. Everywhere we looked, the door seemed to close, one possibility after another. You might remember that we spent a week in prayer and fasting at one point. And then after that week, as a church, we gathered together to see how God had been leading us. and We were all sharing with one another. And one person read from Exodus chapter 23. God had promised the Israelites the land and they were going to occupy it, it was going to be theirs, but not immediately, he told them, because they were too small, they were too weak to take care of the land and the land would grow wild. Here's how he put it in Exodus 23. I will not drive out the people who are current occupants before you in one year, no, lest the land become desolate And the wild beasts multiply against you. And then these words little by little I will drive them out before you until you have increased and possess the land. To fully enjoy the promised blessings of God, we have to change, you see. And God says, at the right time, when the process has been completed, I'm going to bring about the fulfillment of all my promises. Little by little it'll be accomplished. God is not slow. He's methodical, and methodically, he's accomplishing his purposes. So God's work in your life, don't lose heart. God's work in your life is not slow, but it's at the right pace to bring about the joyful and complete fulfillment of all his promises. So that's what this proverb says. Yep, hope deferred makes the heart sick, and yet God does make us wait. But then hope is fulfilled. And the second part of our proverb says, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Desired fulfilled is a tree of life. Proverbs 13, 12, the second line. Christmas is an example of that, isn't it? Christmas was hope deferred for many, many, many generations. But how sweet it was when the little baby was finally born. The Messiah, the Savior of the world. Colossians chapter 1, 26 and 27 sort of captures that long, long wait. It says the mystery which was hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that's why we celebrate. Man, we should celebrate Christmas with great joy. Because a hope deferred, yeah, it makes the heart sick, but after waiting a long time when you finally get it, wow, it should make your heart dance with joy. And that's what it is. Darkness is over. The people who sat in deep gloom have seen a great light. The light of the world has come into this world, into our lives. And so our proverb says it's like finding the tree of life or a tree of life. We're told that it's common in writings from this era and from this area to refer to a tree of life as a picture of joy and rescue. You can imagine some guy traveling through the desert. He's thirsty, his supplies are running down, and he's beginning to lose heart. He's not sure he'll ever be able to make it. And then in the distance, he sees a tree, a tree. See, in the wilderness, a tree means an oasis. A tree means there's other trees. A tree means there's water. There's probably people, there's supplies, there's rescue. So a desire fulfilled is like a tree of life. It means I made it. But in the context of the Bible, I think we have to look at it even deeper because in the context of the Bible, I think we're immediately drawn back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, where God said, here's the tree of life, Adam and Eve, and you can eat of it all you want and it'll give you life. It's my provision for you. So the tree of life is really God's provision. And we see it again in the book of Revelation, mentioned several times, I think four times. The tree of life is there to give healing and life to God's people. And So here's the tree of life. It's the joy of finding God's provision. It's finding wisdom and truth which is rooted in God, which we can absolutely trust. After our confusion and our wandering around, not sure if we're going to ever be able to figure out what our life is about, Ah, there's the tree of life. Instead of living a life in a kind of lonely madness like people do, pretending that they know everything and can do everything, this is finding the tree of life. Say, now I find the one who can take care of me. I found wisdom which comes from God. Wisdom which is filled with His love and with His grace, with His brilliance. Desire fulfilled is like finding the tree of life. So now hope is not deferred, but now it's hope fulfilled. So that's why we're saying joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. No more let sins and sorrows grow. Nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings known as far as the curse is found. As far as the curse is found. Even to my heart and even to your heart. Lord, we pray for those whose hope may be wearing thin Today, waiting, waiting, waiting is hard for us, but you're there to strengthen us, Lord, until all your promises have been fulfilled. We know that. And during this season especially, Lord, cause your people to rejoice in this fact that you have given us Christ Jesus. In reality, he is the guarantee that all your promises have been and will be fulfilled. If you didn't withhold Christ from us, you will withhold no good thing, we know. Keep us and strengthen us, we pray in your holy name. Amen. It's always interesting to read the Bible and look for the titles that God gives himself in his word. And this text, which is my benediction, is this amazing title, The God of Hope. The God of Hope. Romans 15, 13, May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope.